Thank you, Gordon, and good morning, everyone. Um, it's well worth having that reading open, and I am not 100% sure what page it's on in... 1595 in the Church Bibles. Um, Luke chapter 4, as we continue our series um, that we've been in the last couple of weeks, in these early chapters of Luke's Gospel, uh, seeing together the ministry of Jesus Christ as we... Um, head towards, in, in the coming months, head towards another Christmas, to, to reach Christmas with uh, uh, full delight in how good it is to know that God is with us, how good it is to know that Jesus has come amongst us when we see the ministry uh, he did on our behalf. I'm going to pray and ask God to help us uh, listen well as we hear his word today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, the privilege of being your people together, gathered to hear your voice. And we pray, Father, that the things that might be in our minds and hearts that will make it hard to hear you, we pray that you set them aside for us. We pray that you help us to listen well. Uh, this word that will lead us, uh, we pray that we will heed it and we will follow. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, now, up on the screen as we go along, we'll, we'll come a, a bit of an outline of where we're heading as we look at these opening verses in Luke 14. Some days are better than others. I think we all know that feeling, that experience. Some of us, perhaps, as you think about the days you're in at the moment, they're great days. Perhaps you love the days you're in. Uh, they're, they're, it's a really good season of life. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe, though that's not you, maybe you look at the current days and you look back to a golden period, the golden days. I don't know what they were, if that's where you're at in your mind, but perhaps you look back to that period and think they were the good days. And um, as Josh said earlier, for, for a small portion of our church family, including uh, my own daughter, these are the HSC days. Uh, that's what these days are all about. Days when you hope that the prep days in lead up to the exam are miraculously long and the days of the exam are miraculously quick before the golden days begin. I keep telling Jamie, they are great days the other side of it um, but for some of us the days you're in now might be really difficult days for different reasons uh, distressing days days to uh, hard to work out what to make of them whatever days you're in and they, they do change for us over time Luke 4 declares uh, that these are actually favorable days for us incredibly favorable days uh, a little bit later in Luke chapter 4, beyond the part that we're focusing on today, we'll look at this next week. Jesus will begin his earthly ministry in a synagogue and he will stand in the synagogue and he will open an old promise of God from the Old Testament and he will read it out. So this is what he will say. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It's an old promise of, uh, well, we saw it in the video, really, of the day someone would come to bring God's favour. That's what God has promised. Jesus reads out that old promise and he rolls the scroll back up and then there's this pause and he simply says this, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today's the day. No more waiting. Uh, today is the day of God's favour. And elsewhere in the New Testament, we're told in one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he, he says, that day is still open. Now is the day of God's favour. Now is the day of his salvation. Uh, we live in those days. So however we view our days, we're in favourable days. The days when God's favour is on this world. And what Luke's gospel does for us so well 
is it's written, uh, we're told right at the start of Luke's Gospel, to, to help us to be sure, sure in our hearts that we live in these days, sure in our hearts that because of the ministry of Jesus, we have received God's favour. Uh, my purpose in this series is to help us to see just how precious the ministry of Jesus is to us, even in the days that we live in, and how much it actually changes the days we live in. Uh, what we're going to see beyond today is uh, through Luke 4 to 7, that's what we're going to cover, we're going to see a series of days in the, in the earthly ministry of Jesus, and in each of those days he will meet people and he will change their life forever as they receive his favour. But what today's passage, first 13 verses of Luke 4, do for us is they answer the question that I think needs to be answered if we're going to trust what we see in these coming days in Luke's Gospel. It's really two questions. Here here they are. Uh, Does the ministry of Jesus actually make a difference? Can he actually help? And here's the other question that you'll see bubbling under the surface in these chapters. Do I actually need his help? Do I actually need his favour? And I think particularly that second question is an important one for us in the culture that we live in. Ours is a culture that prizes self-sufficiency. To be a human fully alive is to be a self-sufficient human. Uh, We prize personal power. Ours is a culture not not built on the concept of favour, but actually a concept of, well, you get what you work for. That's how our culture works. And in such a culture, the last thing we might imagine we would have to do is to come to Jesus out of need. The last thing that we might imagine we might have to do is to trust a a Jewish man in a dusty town to deal with the complex needs that we have in the days that we live in. But Luke's Gospel, I think, is written to bust the myth of our self-sufficiency. It's written to bust the myth of the graceless economy of our world where you just get what you work for. Luke's Gospel is written so you can be sure that God's favour is actually open to you, but also sure that you desperately need that favour. And so let's look at it together. As we look at this scene of Jesus tempted in the desert, here's the two players in the scene. Firstly, Jesus, the one who's going to serve us. Uh, And as we begin, uh, jump back a couple of verses into chapter 3, if you've got the Bible open there. Let's see who it is who's serving us. Verse 38 of chapter 3, here's who he is. He is God's son. Uh, and we've already seen that last week. Remember, he was declared so by his father. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, See this also about Jesus, that same verse, chapter 3, verse 38. He's not only God with us, he is one of us. Uh, He's not just the son of God. Verse 38 of chapter 3, he's the son of Adam. He's a human like you, like me. Uh, you get a, an obvious example of that at the start of our passage, Luke 4, verse 2. He hungered like we do. And uh, Luke 3, verse 23 says he has a family like we have families. He's of Joseph, Joseph's family. And so the one who ministers to us is your brother. He's one just like you. He gets what it means to live as a human on this earth. Uh, Here's one other thing to see about him. As he goes about his ministry, none of it's haphazard or accidental. It's all very deliberate. Father, Son and Spirit working together to service. Uh, Look at the first verse of chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. It's all very deliberate. But it's an inauspicious start to this ministry that's going to bring us favour. Jesus, just Jesus, 
for 40 days in the desert with, we're told, an adversary. And here's the other player in our scene, the devil. Uh, what of this devil? What are, we, what are we to make of him? Well, another name given to him by the scriptures tells us who he is. He's the Satan, uh, which means the adversary, the accuser. Uh, essentially, if I was to sum up the devil's role on this earth, he is no friend of God and he is no friend of yours. He hates those whom, God's lo- whom, whom God loves. That includes you. His ambition is to derail God's plan in our lives. That is to bring us favour through this ministry of Jesus. And he's actually been doing that since the very first human. Again, we've got, we got a sense of that on that video. Adam tempted by the devil and caves to that temptation and he is cut off from God's favour. That's still his ambition in your life and my life. The devil's ambition for every son and daughter of Adam. Uh, as 1 Peter 5.8 puts it, he prowls around looking for someone to devour. But here in the desert, Jesus is taking up the battle for us and if you look closely we actually join the battle on day 40 this has been raging for a while jesus we're told is hungry no doubt tired and depleted now is a perfect time for the devil the adversary to strike and what he does is he seeks to tempt jesus away from his ministry to us uh, three temptations that we'll see you can see them up on the screen there here's the first he tempts jesus with provision verse three the devil said If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, already there's a few things that that, that the devil is niggling at with Jesus here. Here's the first part of the temptation. He's tempting him to doubt the word of his father. If you are the son of God. I mean, that's the allegation, Jesus. You're saying you're God's son. Now, truth is, the father has just declared it, hasn't he? You are my son. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. But the devil loves to niggle at the truth. There's the first part of the temptation. Here's the second. He's tempting Jesus to forsake his humanity here by his divine nature to command the stone to become bread, as only God could. And, of course, we know this is within Jesus' grasp. Uh, Later in his ministry, he will feed 5,000 with two loaves. He he can do this. The devil's uh, saying, essentially, wouldn't it be easier if you forgot the whole human thing? So limited. But Jesus knows he cannot serve us unless he's one of us. And third, in this temptation, the devil is trying to tempt Jesus in the same way he tempts us. Uh, Verse 2, we're told Jesus is hungry. Bread is an obvious need. It's not a gratuitous need. The devil says, if you're God's son, remember he said he loved you, how could he not want you to have bread now? It's a temptation to be dissatisfied, to doubt the Father's goodness. Jesus here in the desert is actually experiencing the same temptation that God's people Israel experienced in their own wilderness wandering that is recorded for us in the Old Testament. As they were rescued out of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness towards the promised land, wandering though provided by God along the way, over time they grew dissatisfied. God's promised provision wasn't enough. Well, Jesus is walking that path of temptation that they failed in. And it's not just Israel either, right from, as we saw before, right from the very first Adam, the very first human in the Garden of Eden, the the devil said to the man and woman, essentially, why would God not want you to eat from that tree? Surely if he loved you, he let you. It's a temptation that every son and daughter of Adam feels. 
I mean, surely for each of us, there are times when we are tempted to be dissatisfied with God's provision in our lives. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where the apparent circumstances you're facing seem to point to God's disinterest, seem to point to the fact that he is not attentive. Can't he see I need this? That's Jesus here. One of us, and in his case, with the power to change the situation, but he refuses because he is one of us and he is doing this for us. And so into the fog of the devil's lies, Jesus speaks his father's true word in response. You see there, verse 4, man does not live by bread alone, says Jesus. They're actually words he's quoting from uh, Deuteronomy 8 uh, in the wilderness wandering of of Israel uh, when they were doubting God's provision. God called them in that moment, don't heed your stomach, heed my word. Jesus knows and trusts the word of his father because he knows his father loves him. And so he listens to his father in Deuteronomy 8 where, where God had said to his people, at times you will hunger, but I will provide what you need. And even if you hunger, again, this is Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, God will teach you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here in the depths of his hunger, Jesus does what Israel couldn't and what we too often don't. He trusts the word of his heavenly Father even in need and it sustains him in the desert. And thank God he does because he's doing this for us. He's come to be what we never were. He's come to be, if you like, the new Adam. He comes to minister to us by not caving at this moment. In a moment, uh, we're going to see the difference that ministry will make to us. But watch as Jesus does battle again with the devil in a second temptation. It's the temptation of power this time. The devil tries again. Uh, Basically, he's saying, Jesus, isn't there another way to go about this ministry? Not not this slow path you're heading down. What about the fast track to the victory crown? Now, verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So worship me and it will all be yours. It's quite an offer, isn't it? But once again, the devil is working in lies. The scripture does speak of his sway on earth, but he's a shackled force. Any power he has is given to him by God's permission for God's good purposes. And as for this offer to give Jesus the authority over the nations, it's an old offer. It's already been promised to Jesus by his father. Psalm 2 spoke of a day when God would say to his son, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. He's already been offered it. Jesus knows what's promised to him. And he knows how he and the Father and the Spirit are going to win the nations. And it won't be by the fast track, it will be by the way of the cross. But the devil pushes. Wouldn't you rather a crown of splendor than a crown of thorns? All this could be yours, Jesus. Jesus' answer is clear and it's wonderful. Verse 8, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And that's what he did. He serves his father alone. He walks the path the father has called him to. He, he sets his face to Jerusalem, we're told in Luke's gospel. He sets his face to the cross. He, he grasps not at the power that's being offered him here, but sacrifice. Not at self-serving, but self-denial. He's succeeding where we fail. He's doing it for us. 
uh, one final temptation. This time, uh, verse 9, it's the temptation of protection. Uh, the devil, we're told, takes Jesus to Jerusalem, which is where the ultimate battle is going to take place at the end of Jesus' earthly life on the cross. And he confronts Jesus with the temptation to test whether the Father will look after him. He creates a situation where, in which the Father would have to come and rescue Jesus. You know, throw yourself off the top of the temple and, and surely he'll protect you. Test it. Uh, do you notice here the devil has a go at quoting scripture? He's seen Jesus do it, so he says, oh, well, let me have a go. Verse 10, he quotes Psalm 91. You think he'll protect you on the cross? Why not test it now? Jesus' answer is decisive again. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And it's not an accident that again he's quoting from Deuteronomy. Again he's quoting from the wilderness wanderings of God's people when they, when they caved to temptation, when, when they tested God, when they said, is God actually among us? But Jesus says, I will not try to force my Father's hand to act on my behalf. Well, the devil fails to recognise that with Jesus, as with us, God's deliverance may come through suffering. When we read Psalm 91 that the devil has a go at quoting here, we'll see that the devil has left off the end of his quote, the rest of verse 10 that he quotes from Psalm 91. Uh, he did this bit, he will guard you carefully. He should have kept reading, where it says, guard you carefully in all your ways, in all you experience. What are these ways? Well, the ways of God for his people are good and they lead to life, yes. But does that mean that they will always be easy? Will we always sidestep difficulty and disappointment? No, says Jesus. He knows the path ahead of him and so he rebuffs the devil. The devil retreats and we're told at the end of our passage he simply waits for an opportune time to strike again. And that's what I want to finish with, with that opportune time that does come. And we know when it comes, it comes at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry as the devil sees Jesus again in great weakness, hanging on the cross, and through the crowd he essentially shouts the same temptation we've just heard, if you're really the son of God, then save yourself. Prove it. The crowd, like the devil, call for proof of God's protection. If To prove God, uh, he is God's son, why don't you throw yourself down from the cross and see if he rescues you? But Jesus shows himself to be God's son by remaining on the cross for us. The devil doesn't get it. Why don't you throw yourself down, he says. And, and when he catches you, you'll, you'll know he's your heavenly father. What he failed to understand is that when the time came, the opportune time, not for the devil, but the opportune time for God and his plans, Jesus would indeed throw himself down. Throw himself down to be born as a man, to suffer even death, death on a cross. And it's only in that moment as he breathes his final breath on the cross that he finally does cry out for his father's protection. You remember the words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. His victory is our victory. He serves you, he serves me by going all the way to the cross, by not turning back. And so I want to finish by encouraging you to consider the difference that ministry makes to the days you live in. Jesus can serve you and you need him to serve you. As we finish, here are the two ways he serves you. Firstly, and we've seen this all the way through these temptations, he succeeds where you fail. He's one just like us, we're told. Uh, he's in our place, and yet he doesn't cave. 
and that changes things. And listen to these words from uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, speaking of Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might remove our sins. Do you see the difference his success makes to our failure? As we fail, as we sin, Jesus says, come to me, I will be faithful for you. This is our gospel. Reality is we gather each Sunday morning as a community of failures. There's no one here that doesn't fit that category. We are utterly reliant on the favour of Jesus and he's enough. He's enough for all the times we doubt God's provision, all the times we grasp at our own power, all the times we doubt his protection. He was tempted in every way just as we are, but he was without sin. He didn't cave not once because he knew his father's love. His victory is now yours because of this day of God's favour. The day he went to the cross means that if you come to him, each day we live from that day is a day where our sins are actually carried by him. He's removed them. Do you see how that changes today and tomorrow and forever? Lastly, here's the other way he can serve you, not only by carrying your sins, he can help you today. The next verse in Hebrews chapter 2, I quoted 2 verse 17. Here, have a look at 2.18 on the screen. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. Ours is a culture when help, needing help, is a sign of weakness. But the gospel actually says it's a sign of sanity. There will be days when you will need Jesus' help. And I reckon the more you get to know yourself and the more you get to know Jesus' favour, you'll come to see that that is every day, not some days. But there will be some days when you will need his help acutely. There'll be days of stress and anxiety when you will doubt God's goodness and provision and you'll be tempted to pursue that provision elsewhere. You'll need him. There'll be days of pride and selfishness when you'll grasp at power and selfishness in relationships. There'll be days of fear when troubles come that you can't solve yourself and you'll doubt God loves you and you'll doubt his protection and you'll need his help. When those days come, we are not to draw on our own resources. We're not to run from the God whose goodness we doubt. We are to go to him who is God's very best provision for us, Jesus. He can help. Go to him, Hebrews chapter 4 says, to his throne of grace, because every day of your life he actually lives to intercede for you. He's doing that today. Because every day he lived was without sin, so he can represent you. He experienced everything you have. He can help. And 4.16 of Hebrews says, you will find from him the help you need at the time you need it. Uh, Martin Luther, an old German theologian, when asked how he battled daily with temptation, he, he said this, when the devil comes knocking at the door of my heart and asks who lives there, the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door for me. And he says, yes, Martin Luther used to live here, but he moved out some time ago, actually. Now I live here. Can I help you? I believe we've met before. Christian, today and tomorrow and the days that will follow, our job is simply this. Rejoice in his victory and rely on his help.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus, for his ministry to us on the cross and his ministry now interceding for us. Help us to be sure of his favour. Help us to be sure of our need of it and help us to go to him. In Jesus' name we pray.